0: Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline and we're gonna hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. Is, um, we've been in a series And the title of it has been The Proving Ground. The Proving Ground. And the underlying foundation of it is we see over and over again, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that when God comes into a relationship with the human race, mankind, he always promises to lift. He promises to bless. He did it with Abraham. You you go all the way back and you look with Jesus. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it super abundant in quantity and in quality. I don't know about you. Well, I think I do. I'm a candidate for that. And and I and I want that. But what we have found out is we've identified nine different tests that we see in the Bible cover to cover, both Old and New Testament, with Everyone that wanted a relationship with God and pursued God is that he allowed them to go through and even led these certain types of tests that when we responded to right, what they did is they equipped us and they developed us for for maybe, uh, and it increased our capacity in our life to handle his greater and his more and his blessing. And maybe with you, it's a dream that is in your heart and you have an aspiration in your heart, or maybe it's just something that he's placed in your heart where you're like, Lord, I have a desired outcome or expectation in this particular area. That's what they, that's what's called a dream and aspiration or a vision for your life. Or How many of you have a preferred outcome in a specific area of your life? Okay, I didn't Well, three of us. The rest of us, what do we got? Dreaded outcomes? It's how many of you have a preferred outcome in your life? I want to, you know, when I get to this, I want to cross. I want to be here or I want to be here or I want to be here. I believe that God inspires that in our lives. He inspires it because what it does is it gives us the ability to take our eyes off of maybe where we're at or something that's going on. Not that we you know, just stick our head in the sand, but it gives us the ability to say, you know what? And, um, this is, this is just a time. This is just a season. And so we talked about that. God gives, allows us to go through these because he wants to increase our capacity. And so I'm just going to say very quickly, the nine different tests. And I'm, we're on, today. We're on test number eight. Everybody say eight, eight. You know, I, um, good tests are ones you pass. How many of you know what I'm saying? I don't, none of us like tests we don't pass. And, but what it is, is it's us learning to recognize, oh, right now, I'm this is a test. Right now, this is a test. So the first test we talked about, if you were not here, you can, you can go online and listen. But the test of small things. The second was the motivation test. The third test was the credibility test. The fourth test was the wilderness test. The fifth test is the authority test. The sixth test was a warfare test. And then last week, we talked about the offense test, people that do us wrong, things that happen we don't like. How do I handle that? And today, the test, the eighth test today is the test of time, the test of time. The test of time comes to prove your endurance, your patience, and your ongoing confidence in the various seasons of life. I'm going to say that again. The test of time comes to prove our endurance, our patience, and our ongoing confidence in the different seasons of life that we go through. Everything down here has seasons. I find that the season of my flesh is now. How many of you know what I'm saying? Lord, I want now. I'm ready. Now. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's, I plant a peach tree and I want peaches? No. No. You know what I'm saying? I, I plant a garden and I want I want tomatoes. Now we want we want we want them now. But everything down here has seasons. Life is not a sprint. It isn't one quarter. It isn't one inning. It isn't one hole. It requires us to have endurance. It requires us to have patience and ongoing confidence through the various seasons of life. You know, we usually, and I've noticed this, is we overestimate the importance of an event and we underestimate the importance of a healthy rhythm and routine within our life. An event happens, and we think, my life is over. This event, this situation, and God's like, no, excuse me, this event will pass. You need to focus on the importance of a healthy rhythm and a healthy routine within your life, and it will make sure that this event passes. I like in John seven verse six, Jesus said, "My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. I think that's an interesting statement God said i have Jesus said, I live my life based on seasons, but your season is always now it's always it 's always here and he, Jesus was speaking to his brothers, See, our season is usually now, but to God he has a plan." that encompasses us through all the seasons of life, through every season of life. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. He did a lot of good things with his time that he was down here. I mean, if you stop and you think about it, is he taught his disciples. Uh, I mean, he healed the sick. He drove out demons. He fed the hungry. He spent time traveling. He spent time staying in the same spot. He spent time with crowds. He spent time in solitude, if you look at it. He spent time celebrating with people he loved, and then he also spent time, if you look, mourning after losing people in his life. He slowed down and took time, but then he also spoke and acted in a driving urgency at particular times within his life. And if you look at his life, Jesus spent the last three years of his life revealing himself as the Son of God. But what you see is he spent the first 30 years as a carpenter preparing, equipping him for what that last three years were going to do in his life. And, you know, we rarely understand what looks like coincidental things while they're happening. God, I don't get this. Lord, I don't understand this. And it's not until after it will look back that we clearly see the hand of God growing, developing, and navigating our life through that situation. And when you talk about, you know, when you stop and you think about time, I realize, you know, time is the most valuable thing that you have. Because once it's gone, you can't get it back. I have, I have been at people's bedside that had untold amounts of money that they were, they were literally within 24 hours of leaving the earth. And if they could have bought more time, they would have, but their time was up. Their time was up. And so they were there. You know, one thing when you think about time and when you talk about time is uh, one thing that Jill and I like to do is we like to watch a good movie. How many of you are with me on that? You like to go out. But the key word is a good movie, (laughs) a good movie. But the challenging thing is to pick a movie that usually starts with us texting our kids. How many of you are with me? It's like, hey, do you know of any good movies? Because they know their dad and they know their mom. And that, and so they'll, they'll text and, you know, usually before we text them, we decide or we talk about what kind of a movie is this going to be. And you guys all kind of have a, 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 you have a, a little bit of an understanding where I want to go with the movie. How many of you are with me on that? And then you have a little bit of understanding where she wants to go with the movie. And so we decide, what kind of a movie are we looking? And I just look at her, and I say, it can't be a movie like Shopaholic. How many of you know what I'm saying? It can't be. It just can't. I just, I'll just go right to sleep. And so we decide, and, and, and then we text our kids, and, and then they start. And, and then the next thing that we do is we start watching the previews of that movie. We're watching it, and we're like, okay, what's it going to be like? And we look at the ratings, and why is it rated this? And, and, and we've watched the previews, and we thought we knew, and this has happened so many times, we thought we knew what the movie was going to be about, only to find out after 15, 20 minutes, it's like, why are we watching this movie? How many of you are with me on that? And so, and so we'll just just turn the movie off and go to bed, usually. Sometimes we'll find another one. And then there's times that we've watched the previews, and we've gone like 10 different previews, whatever, whatever. And we got so tired watching the previews that we got tired and just looked at each other and said, let's just go to bed. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's, we, we just can't find. You know, some people live their life in the preview stage. They're convinced that life won't start until something happens. Oh, when I graduate, something, this is, life can start. You know, oh, when I, when I get a certain position, When I make a certain pay, when you think about it, when I reach a certain age, when I meet the right person, you know, when I pay this and I pay this off, get this toy, reach this certain goal in my life, they're simply previewing and waiting for just the right movie and they're never fully engaging because they've not given them self-permission to stop and say life is not about previewing life is about engaging. It's about engaging in life as opposed to maybe believing in our lives that God is with you in the season that you're in right now. He's for you. He's leading you. He has a plan and he will use everything you you go through to grow you through it and to equip you for that plan that he has in the future. You know, even if, you know, some people like, well, the devil did this or the devil did that. Even what Satan has meant for evil, God will turn it for good. It will stop in our life and say, God, I realize that right now this is where I'm at. You know, a great example of someone who did what she could with what she had was Esther in the Old Testament. If you study Esther's life, what you find out is that, I mean, her early life is she became an orphan, and she was raised by her older cousin by the name of Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai. You know, and being an orphan wasn't enough heartache. Esther also was a young Jewish woman who was exiled into Persia. First it was Babylon, then it went to Persia, and she's exiled into this. And as a young woman, if you study her life, what you find out is, number one, she was beautiful. Number two, she had incredible character and poise within her life. And the way that she carried herself caught the attention of the people. The king was looking for a new king, new queen, and his name was Xerxes, and he's looking for a new new queen. And so he has dispatched people throughout his land to find the next king. And and Esther catches their eye. And so they're looking at Esther and they're thinking, maybe this is the one. And just just so you know a little bit about Xerxes. Xerxes has 127 providences that are under his control. He is the king of that day. You say, well, how big is 127 providences? They estimate that he had 300 million square miles of land underneath his control. Just to give you a perspective of this, if you take Alaska and Hawaii out of the United States and you you can, and you count just the lower 48 states, we are 300 million square miles. That's how big the U.S. is. So Xerxes is over an area the size of the lower 48 states, and he sends this word out that says, I need a queen. Now, how many of you know, and, and realize we don't get this because we don't have kings, but in their day, the king was ruled. The king was the authority. The king. You didn't get to vote. You didn't get to say, I don't like this. And if you did, they killed you. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so they come across Esther, and they're like, you could be the one. Esther's lived long enough. If you look, we won't get into his previous wife, Is but what it is. And so they're looking around, and they gather these women, all of these women, like a harem together. And for one year, what they do is they are in, in a preparation process going through beauty treatments and all kinds of stuff through a selection process. Process, and through that selection process, Esther becomes the queen and she becomes the wife of Xerxes and she's a Jewish woman. Shortly after she was selected to be the queen, a corrupt leader, a member of the king's cabinet has hatched this plan to kill off all of the Jewish people from Persia. And so through manipulation and deception, he has he hatched this process that what he's basically going to do is he is, he is, he is going to uh, create, uh, create genocide for the entire Jewish race. And Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin and her adopted father, sends a message to Esther, who's now in the palace, and I want to just read verse 14 of what he said to her. He said, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. See, that's that's Mordecai, that's Esther. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Just like Esther embraced her time You and I are living in a season and in a time in our life that is not coincidental. It is not an accident. God put you here in this season for such a time as this. Sometimes we look and we're just like, well, you know, no, God has got you right where you're at. God placed us here. You're living in the time of your greatest potential for what God has for your life. Your time isn't over, you're not waiting for something, your time hasn't come, you're living in your time. We can't do anything about the past, but we can do something about the future. And there's a lot of people when you talk about time, they spend their time looking in the rear view mirror and what we've got to realize is there's not much we can do about our history, but we sure can influence our legacy. We can influence our legacy. And what God wants to do is when we talk about this test of time, we have to stop and say, I'm gonna quit looking at the past. I'm gonna learn from the past, but I'm gonna get up and believe that I serve a good God, a loving Father who's in and over my life. He's directing my steps and everything that has happened in my life, he's gonna turn it for good. He's gonna use it for good in my life. See, once we leave this life, Time has no relevance, but down here we see that God created time with a purpose for each one of our lives, each and every one of our lives. And I wonder if I could give you four thoughts on passing the test of time. Number one is this, life is God's gift to me, but what I do with it is my gift to him. Life is God's gift to me. God's given it to me. But what I do with it is my gift to him. We all have a window of time. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5 verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I think it's interesting that the word opportunity and evil days are mentioned in the same sentence. Both of them are in the same sentence. Some of us are waiting for something to pass before we're going to seize the opportunity. And God is saying, no, realize stuff is going to continue to happen. And if you're waiting for the perfect break of everything to happen, you are going to miss your opportunity in life. Most people get so distracted with the urgent that they overlook the important i want to say that again we a lot of we just get so distracted by the urgent what's screaming what's going on oh my gosh that we and that we what we do is we overlook the important Urgent meaning what is the loudest voice right now in my ear. Important meaning my walk with God, my relationships with other people, planning in my life, maybe my physical health, maybe cultivating self-control so that I'm able to go into that direction in my life. Number two is this, is it's okay to want. Everybody say that with me. It's okay to want. Some people never fully apply themselves because they're waiting for a voice of God experience in their life. God, I want this, but is it you or is it me? Well, I want this, but God, I'm not, and they're, they're waiting. God's peace is his voice. You know, when I came to pastor this church 22, is that right, baby? Almost 22 years ago, God never spoke to me. He never said, Mark, never did it. I wanted him to. How many of you like those moments? You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I can't miss it. Realize this, God will never take out of the equation faith and trusting him. He never spoke to me and said, pastor of this church. He never did. I wanted him to. When I married my wife, I said, Lord, I need you to tell me if she's the right one. He said, do it quick while she's blind. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Come on, Jack. You know that's true. (laughs) Josiah, look at me, dude. You married up. You married up. You married up. And, and, And so, but he never spoke to me. But what he did give me as I prayed was a deep peace on the inside. See, the peace of God is the voice of God in our life. Some people are looking for something natural, audible, but the Bible says that God leads his place in a quiet and a peaceful habitation. Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It was a peace that was on the inside. You say, well, why did you do it? If I would have stepped back and assessed everything, I had, we had four little children, had a very comfortable life in San Diego, California. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't even know where we were going to live. And there was lots of stuff that really it was, the church was a little bit of a mess and based on some situations that had happened and things that had gone on. And so what happened is, is you say, what did you do? Well, the first thing is my pastor, which I have a pastor, said to me, hey, I think you should pray about this and you, I think you should consider it. And so as I began to pray in, from San Diego, I began to have a peace on the inside of my life. And when I mentioned it to my wife, she said, absolutely not. We are not moving to Michigan. And I said, well, God, if you want me to go there, you're just going to have to address her heart. And then she came to me and she said, God spoke to me and said, he wants me to let go of the steering wheel. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so she, and then, and my wife, once she knows what God wants, she goes after it. And so, you know, you stop and then you say, well, what else? Well, I had a couple of spiritual accountability partners and friends in my life that they prayed, uh, that they knew me, I knew them. They had no dog in the hunt. And they said, Mike, I don't know, dude. I think you should pray about this because this could be God. And then we came and we visited and I had a peace on the inside. Look at what it says in Psalms 37, verse four and five. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart commit your way to the Lord, trust in him also, and he will do it. What I want you to notice is, you know, you you look at it and God says, you know what, right now, I want you to just get to know me and delight yourself in me. Just delight yourself in me. Some people are indifferent about their desires because they don't know if it's the desire of God or if it's their desire. And so they live their life rudderless. They just kind of like whatever storm blows through, whatever happens in their life. Realize this, our desires come from two primary sources in our life. The first one is our flesh and the second one is God. And when you talk about the desires of the flesh, what the flesh is, is it will hinder us from a life of worth and value and it will cause us to live in the urgent and not in the important of our life. But the desires of God, what they do is they bring peace, they bring freedom, they bring worth, they bring value, and they create a greater dependence and recognition on his faithfulness in my life. That's what they do. They create those those desires in my life. I mean, you go back, and I I like the process of Psalms 37, 4, because he said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the secret petitions of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. I like this. He said, if I'll delight myself in the Lord, he will start putting desires on the inside of me. He'll put desires in my heart. And then if I'll just commit myself, no matter what season I'm in, no matter what is going on, that commit speaks to all seasons. Lord, I'm going to commit myself to you. And Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. And then what I love about it is God just said things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. But we have to do, back up and just say, okay, God, I realize that right now in my life, I need to give my permission. It's okay to want. And, Lord, I give you permission that if this is just a fleshly want in my life, you can work it out. But what I do realize is the fruit of both sides of it. Number three is this, is vision is vital. It's vital. Vision is vital. In passing the test of time, vision is vital. You say, why? Because things happen. Things are going to happen in your life. Vision is I have a picture in my mind that is a preferred outcome of where I'm going to be and where I want to be. And it fuels me in my here and in my now. It's a positive expectation of your future because you serve a good God and a loving heavenly father. God, I have a, I have a, a vision that, Lord, it might not, you know, and you, when you think about it, is you definitely won't know all of the twists and the turns or how, how everything is going to shake out and how everything is going to work out. But there is a course in your life of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you god i 'm going to trust you. I remember I tell you a story uh, this was like f- probably 30 more than 30 years ago is um, I had this buddy and his name was j w JW. Massey. I played golf with JW one time and he wore cowboy boots that 'll tell you about JW. You know, if you ever see somebody wearing cowboy boots on a golf course, you know they 're not golfers. How many of you know what i 'm saying? And so, J- J.W., though, he was a good old boy. He was from, he was from Texas or, no, Louisiana. And, um, and J.W. had this handyman business. And in his handyman business, he ran into this person that had, they were basically had various patents. They were very wealthy. And they had this really nice large boat that was docked in the Oceanside Harbor. They had owned it for like 12 years and been out on it two times. And and it was and so they said to JW that if you will maintain this boat, you can use it anytime you want, and you can just take it. We hardly ever use it. We just need somebody to maintain it. But we'll take care of the slip rental. We'll take care of all the maintenance. We'll take care of all the stuff. How many of y'all know I'll take that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so JW comes to us, and he says to us, he says, I want to take a trip to Catalina. And I said, Catalina? He said, Catalina was about 55 or 60 miles off of the coast of Oceanside due northwest. And you couldn't see it. It was 55 miles away. And he said, I said, well, do you know how to get there? He said, I've got a compass. I thought to myself. I said, well, what is the other side of Catalina? Japan. I said, so we're talking about this, and we're getting all the guys together. You know what I'm saying? And about five of us guys get together, and we all get together. And um, I have a, I'm doing a, um, a life group. And so I'm like, dude, I cannot go till like at minimum 8.30 at night. And so we're only going to have like 30 minutes of light. And then we're going to be going in the dark. And they're all everybody's like, we want you to go. You got to come. And so we're going to delay it until 8.30 at night. And so I'm like, okay. So we all show up with our, you know what I'm saying? Can I just be really honest with you? Can I? Okay, so we're all we all brought our guns and we all brought our, we we're convinced we we're going to catch sharks. How many of you are with me on that? And so we brought our steaks and all this stuff and we just haul it all onto this boat. And JW heads out into the harbor and we're going on our way to Catalina. And he said, he's like, everybody starts getting tired. <laughs> They start getting tired. And Jay is like, we got to have people to drive this because I'm not driving all night. This boat's top speed was like six knots. Six knots is like walking to Catalina. It was like, you know, it was like, push the gas farther. He's like, as far as it goes. I'm like, we would pick up to eight knots when we went over a hill or a wave. I'm like, we're going. How many of you know you want to put your leg out? (laughs) And and so he's like lining up all these people to, it's like, okay, you're going to drive from this time to this time. I'm like, none of us have any experience driving a boat. None of us do. He's like, if you just stay on this compass, and the compass is right on the dash. He said, if you just, I think it was like 55 degrees or something. He said, if you just stay on that heading, we will run into Catalina. And I'm like, dude, Catalina is only like maybe a half a mile or a mile wide. And then it's Japan. (laughs) We ain't got enough for Japan. And he's like, "We will." So I am the last person to drive. Pitch black. Driving. I'm get up there and I'm sitting in the seat. Chloe, don't shake your head. Please don't. And She's like, "So I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and I you know, I mean, things I'm drinking my coffee and I just feels like a motorized bathtub." It's just like we're just cruising And lo and behold, the sun starts coming up, and in the distance, I can see Catalina. I'm like, it's here. We got it. You know what I'm saying? But in the dark, we had to go by a compass. And sometimes in our life, God is saying, do you have vision for where you want to end up? It's rooted in me, rooted in my word, anchored in faith. You have vision for where you want to end up. And if you have vision, when you're driving your boat and it's dark and it's black and it's going slower than you think and the coffee is getting cold and you feel like everybody else is sleeping and nobody's with you, God said, you'll stay on course in your life. Are you with me? Do I have time to give you my last one? All right, guys. Number four is this recognize the power of a plan. God has a plan, He's always had a plan. And his plan is based on knowing everything. He knows everything. Our plan is based on our relationship with him, knowing everything. Well I've, God, I don't know everything, and I'm, but you do. You know, if you stop and some people act like, do you know that God had a plan even before Adam and Eve sinned? He had a plan, he knew they were gonna sin act before creation. You say, how do you know that? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us. So before the world is before anything else. Nothing was created. It says God loved us and chose us. In Christ. Okay, if he chose me in Christ before the world was created, then he had to know that Christ was going to have to pay for the sins of the world. Are you with me? He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God shows up to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he said, I've got a plan, but I need you to follow for that plan to come to pass, Jer- Jeremiah 29 11 says this This is God, for I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for peace and well being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, if you look at the environment that this scripture was inspired. God's people were in a really, really difficult place in their life. And God spoke to them and said, I just wanna let you know, even no matter what it looks like, I've got a plan. God said, I've got a plan. And it takes way more faith to plan in our life than to not plan in our life. Some people say, well, I'm just waiting on God. No, with whatever you know, whatever you're doing, God says, I am going to inspire in you. I want you to have enough faith in me that you create a plan for your life. You know, there's a reason that I said this number four in regard to recognize the power of a plan. There's a reason. Because when I delight myself in the Lord, He gives me the desires of my heart and I commit myself to Him in all of the seasons and I trust Him and things happen. See, have a plan. Make a plan, and it will practically focus on applying ourselves where we're at right now. Wherever you're at right now. But never let your plan become your God because it never goes exactly according to our plan. And so we can have a plan, but hold our plan loosely. I am convinced is this. When our plan becomes our God, We pick up negative limiting baggage because of the things that we go through in life. Because of the questions that we can't answer that require us to have faith and trust in our life. I believe that one reason God navigates his plan and our plan, and I said he navigates it, is because it's based on the need to grow and develop areas of our life. We don't know where we need to grow and develop. We can't see the root system of maybe an area that's limiting us in our life, but God sees it. And so what he does is he navigates his plan for our life to bring us through certain tests to bring us through certain areas that reveal the root system of that thing and then what he does is we don't just curse the fruit but we let God get to the root and it transforms our heart it transforms our life so that when that dream comes to pass we're healthy we're whole and we don't have all of this stuff we rarely see the roots, but God sees the roots and he knows where, what we must grow through in our life. See, I, I love this in Galatians 6, 9, it says this, and let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. I think it's interesting, the statement there, lose heart. That means at one point they had heart. There was a heart there. It was like, yes. God said, don't lose heart. Why would he say don't lose heart? Because you can have a plan. You can have a vision. You can have a desire. I'm going to tell you straight up, it ain't going that way. How many of you are with me? That doesn't mean don't have a plan. But it means there is nothing freer than you having a plan. It didn't go that way. And the hand of God came in. And it turned out better than you could have ever done on your own. And you're just like, oh my gosh. God, you are incredible. So God said, don't lose heart, grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. And here it is. For in, back to where we started, due time and at the appointed season. God's got appointed seasons. God, my seasons now. God's like, excuse me, due time, appointed season. We shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. I want us to stand to your feet if you would. I want you to stand up. As I was praying for today, I want to pray over two areas for us here today. For those of you that are maybe right now in a tough spot that your faith won't fail, that you just won't give up, that you just keep on. You're here. Just everyone bow your head close your eyes, and you say, right now, I'm in a tough season. Could be in an area, could be in life in general. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. Just lift it up right now. God, we thank you for your grace that is in and over our life. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is here and your Holy Spirit that infuses us with faith and hope, courage and strength. And Lord, I thank you for them right now. And Lord, I pray that their faith won't fail, that they'll feed their faith, that Lord, they'll encourage their heart, that they'll anchor on your truth. I come against every demonic attack and every demonic discouragement in their life. And Lord, I pray that you give them perspective beyond where they're at, that you love them, that you care about them, and that you're navigating their life. In Jesus' name. The next is this. Is I want to pray over those that need to make a tough choice in the season they're in. And then they need to stick with it and walk it out. Right now, you're like, okay, I realize the season I'm in. God's saying, you need there's a tough choice. Maybe you've put it off. Maybe you've delayed. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you, I'm just going to, you've been passive. You've been kind of, and God is saying, I need you to make that tough choice like Esther did. I, I need you to make a tough choice in the season you're in and then stick with it and walk it out. That's you, lift up your hand to the Lord, just lift it up. God, I thank you, thank you Lord for your grace, for your favor, for your ability. I thank you for everyone that is here right now. And for those of us that are facing tough choices, we've gotta make some tough choices Lord, maybe the past has been a little bit discouraging or maybe, Lord, we've kind of been in a spot that has not been a good spot for a long time and you're asking us right now to make a tough choice. And that then in the season that we're in, we're not going to wait till we feel like it. We're not going to wait till all the circumstances line up. We're not going to wait for him to do this or her to do this or the boss to do this or this thing to happen. We're going to make the choice right now in the season we're in. And then Lord, stick with it and walk it out. Lord, I thank you for your strength right now. Everyone, that's say this with me. Say, Lord, help me to depend on your strength not my strength but your strength right now Jesus I invite you into my situation and I choose to make the tough choice in Jesus name Amen